Hi, everyone. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Tara Talk. Hi, everyone. This is Tara Talk with Shannon and Kathy. I'm excited for this one. I know. So today and next week, we are doing a two-part true crime psychology series on the Zodiac Killer. So... For those of you who do not know, in the late 60s and early 70s, the self-named Zodiac Killer was a serial assassin or executioner, depending on your use of terms. In many ways, he's most known for, one, not ever officially being captured. (laughs) That's a pretty uh, salient detail. Or if he was, it wasn't for the Zodiac killing. No, it was not. And two, uh, sending taunting letters with cryptic symbols. He became very famous for that part of it. So in July of 1969, a letter arrived at the San Francisco Examiner newspaper uh, containing uh, chilling words in a coded message, as they say. Uh, The sender would be uh, not known as the Zodiac Killer at that point, but later uh, self-named himself (laughs) the Zodiac Killer. Uh, He was a serial killer who terrorized Northern California in the late 60s. Um, Hypothetically, between um, 68 and 69, basically, but then the case went on for a while. And there's some evidence... um, brought up in a documentary called The Hunt for the Zodiac Killer, there's some evidence to suggest that the practicing that we know serial killers often do was started as early as, you know, 65, 66, and maybe, you know, maybe before that. I'm not sure. But so um, one thing I wanted to mention was that we are going to, the way it's going to lay out is this. Today, we are going to certainly mention the 2000 film, uh, David Fincher's film, The Zodiac Killer, because, or Zodiac, I think it was just called, mm-hmm. is um, because it's a pretty accurate representation of facts, which is n- not usual <laughs> in the true crime world. Uh, we're also going to throw in discussion of The Hunt for the Zodiac Killer, which is the 2017 History Channel um docu-series, I guess is what they call them now. They only did season one, from what I can tell, and it does leave on a cliffhanger, so I don't know what happened. (laughs) It was back in 2017, so I guess they never found the Zodiac Killer. They're like, you know what? We're done. (laughs) They're like, yeah, we suck. We didn't find the answer, so we're going to quit now. (laughs) I don't know if you have this in front of you, but didn't they close the case as far as, like, looking any further into it, Um, not in, like, research-wise, but the actual case, was it like 2004 that yeah. they stopped? Yeah. yeah. And so these were... a long were, time for a case to be open. It's a long, long time. So if you think, you know, 68, 69 to 2004, and then these retired cops were looking into it, you know, in 2016 or so, but when the, while they were shooting this documentary, um, cold case type specialists. Um, so there's that. And then we're also going to talk about... Uh, thrill killing and what that is. It's a subgenre of serial killing. And then we're going to do a what we hope to be um, a psychological profile. We're going to break the sucker down. And then next week we will go into the prime suspect who was named Arthur Lee Allen and do his history and psych and all that good stuff next time. So that's what we're doing. Does that sound good? I think that sounds great. 
Let's not minimize this. <laughs> it's fantastic. All right. So, right. So I do want to mention um, David Fincher's film. It was came out in 2007. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal as the as the cartoonist, actually, at the San Francisco mm-hmm. Examiner. And Robert Downey Jr. is the main crime reporter at, San, at the Chronicle, I guess Chronicle, Examiner, whatever it was, at the time. But in this movie, there is no less than Mark Ruffalo, Anthony Edwards, Dermot Mulroney, Elias Coteus, oh. Brian Cox, Chloe Sevigny, and then there are probably 10 other character actors that you Played would say, all. it's that yeah. guy. Yeah, there's a lot. I, I loved Mark Ruffalo in this role, too. I think he was great. He was good. Yeah. And they're all so young. And it was only even, it was only just 13 years ago. But yeah, it was good. I like David Fincher for one. Mm-hmm. I know there was there was a lot of, uh, I don't know, inconsistent uh, feelings about this film. But I liked it. Yeah, no, I enjoy this film. I I like a dialogue-driven thriller. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm a fan of that. They walk you through it. Yeah, and I'm a fan of the excellent acting that was going on. Um, sometimes this is called. I read an article, a few articles actually, that they call this the most accurate true crime film ever made. Really? Um, which you know, that's a that's a marketing thing. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that then then looking into the case. There is a lot of reality yeah. as far as the facts that they use historically. Um, one of the things I liked was that two things, two things I'll mention before we move on from this is that I liked that the POV or the point of view of the movie included cops, reporters, and the killer. And that is our proposed killer, mm-hmm. Lee Arthur Allen. Or Arthur Lee Allen. Arthur Lee Allen. That guy. Um, You're thinking of Lee Harvey Oswald. Widely known as the Zodiac Killer, but was never arrested for that. <laughs> I, I was. I was thinking of that. Um, it so, really does. I don't, I don't think I thought of it that way, but it does. Yeah, like from a story, I try to bring the story perspective. I try. I try very hard. You're such a writer. <laughs> I try very hard. It's what I have to offer. Um I think one of the hardest things about this movie to be successful and probably why some people like would bash it or whatever, although it does get pretty good reviews in general, is that it's very difficult to do all those POVs successfully. So you do get the cop's point of view. You do get the reporter's point of view. And you also get the killer's point of view. And so they're trying to integrate all these stories. And I can see how that would be like cumbersome and probably maybe in the beginning led people astray. But as we look back on it now that it's 13 years old, um, I think there's some stuff to say about it. That's good. Plus it's got groovy sixties tone music in it. Did you notice that? Yeah. Like the sixties, um, well, even the lens that they use on the cameras, yeah. that, that Brown sort mm-hmm. of old film. And it, the, and I think they were able to incorporate all this too, because the movie's just under three hours. Yeah. It's he, long. Yes, it was. And, but I was engaged yeah. and I hadn't watched it in a decade. So that was helpful. Like I, I was yeah. kind of new. It had been a while new. since I'd seen it too. It was kind of new. And so that was great. But yeah, I loved the music they used. The, that's um, what we, call um atmosphere the atmosphere of the movie was really good the other thing i wanted to mention before we kind of move on from the movie is the wonderful performance i thought that um they did with uh, arthur lee allen and specifically the um, the way he was interviewed and his performance in the way he was interviewed and i'll just mention this briefly because i know we're going to go down into the rabbit hole of his psych profile but 
John Carroll Lynch, right? Which yeah. Played him. Yeah. But I great. think what I think he did really well, and I think he does this naturally as an actor as well, and so it's great casting. But what they did was is in this one interview where Mark Ruffalo and I think it's Elias goes with him. I can't remember who the other person. Oh no, Anthony Edwards is with him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they go and they interview him oh, mm-hmm. at work, and the performance that is given is pretty much exactly what you get. It's all of this sort of um, feigning reality. (laughs) Like, oh, I think I wasn't there that day. Or, you know, they're saying all the right things, but he's got all of this narcissistic avoidance and bravado that's right there in the room that is so freaking obvious that Mark Ruffalo and they all just kind of like sit back and kind of watch him and they just immediately get that like wow yeah. you really think we're gonna buy this well, was alibi with the chickens yeah he's yeah. like playing with them yeah he's attempting to toy with them mm-hmm. but no one buys it mm-hmm. which is pretty much what happens in any kind of, at least the psych interviews I've done of sociopaths, and yeah. I'm sure the ones that you've done yeah. probably too. And they and really th- think they're convincing. I mean, if you're, oh, yes. if you're seasoned enough to catch it, they really think like they've right got out of you. the gate. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's and that and that interplay between them. That's my favorite scene because, from a psychological perspective, because. That is exactly what it looks like is that you're asking the straightforward questions. They're giving you straightforward answers as if on the page, like when you read the dialogue, it would have just seemed like a straightforward conversation. But the tone he gives it where it's like, oh, yeah. And he kind of leans back and he crosses his legs and he kind of real trying to be real casual as if, oh, I'm, and that's what liars do. Well, and too much detail. Oh, too much detail. He gave, he gave too much. I mean, there were a couple of times where they look at each other like, did we even know that? Like, he, just, <laughs> he just gave us more right there. They're yeah, like, yeah. What it's, blood? Yeah. You know? It's a great, um, a great and scene. The, and we, we know that about, uh, yeah, when yeah. people lie, right? It's a great scene. Yeah. Too much detail mm-hmm. when you lie. Because uh, you think it makes it sound credible. Yeah. Um, I also want to mention this documentary that I kind of joked about earlier, The Hunt for the Zodiac Killer. I think it's still a valuable watch, even though it lifts, leaves on a cliffhanger. It doesn't look like they're making any more. Yeah, At least it's been it. a couple of years. But they're actually doing a real investigation. So I understand why they wouldn't just like jump into making another season mm-hmm. because I don't know what may have happened. But so... This is retired cops looking into connections to murders in Santa Barbara and Riverside uh, that are cold cases as well that have similar qualities to what we know about the kills of the Zodiac Killer. And so they look into all of these. And this is where they get this idea of a precursor where the murders could have been as early as 65, 67, because... um, in his letters, the Zodiac Killer suggests that he's killed like 37, 38 people. And there's only seven confirmed dead of the ones that we know about, from my understanding. And so these two cops are trying to put together, like, where are these other people? And maybe there's these people. And they kind of trace these other suspects. And so there's two or three other names that they suspect could be the Zodiac Killer, which is very interesting. They come up with new DNA, there's a new letter discovered, and then there's two or three episodes on trying to um, finally 
interpret uh, the cipher, the very, very famous cipher, mm-hmm. um, the most complicated cipher that had previously never been, um, we didn't know what it said. <laughs> and they, they, they seem to crack about half of it by the end of the series. They, they, they believe they've cracked half of it, which had never been done before. So I think this movie, and I think this documentary as well, if, if you are a geek for this stuff, it would be both be really good watches. Yeah, I think so too. So you want to talk about the what we call the thrill killer? Yeah. Did we want to mention anything about what these letters look like? Yeah, go for it. Okay, yeah. So in the documentary that Shannon was just talking about, this is where they start to discuss the way that the Zodiac started to communicate with law enforcement and and starting to play this game. So he would send these provocative letters to cops about a variety of things. At one point he mentioned killing a school bus full of kids, uh, just enough to kind of keep the police department on their toes. And that was very like descriptive and overt. And then on the other hand, he would send these, what we call cryptograms where they would have to spend all of this time decoding messages within the cryptogram that apparently he had said, if you can figure this out, my name is in there and things. I mean, he just, he was a game player. Taunting. So this is, this sort of rolls into the thrill killing piece, which is like what Shannon was saying, like a subdivision of serial killing. It's a type of killer who derives immense satisfaction from the process of the murder versus the actual act itself. And we've talked about uh, serial killers on the show a variety of times with uh, Ted Bundy. You know, he loved to really revisit the scene and almost play it out again. And he was really into the actual kill and the sadistic part of it and the way. And then we've talked about uh, the BTK who would actually even like reenact his. So they all, you know, have different Thrill killers are really obsessed with um, the acts leading up to the murder versus the actual murder itself, although they enjoy that as well. It's really about tracking the victim, stalking. So they seem to, to gain what like a euphoric adrenaline rush provided by the stalking and the capturing. That's really what they're obsessed with. Um, tracking their... You know, their victims becomes an addiction for them, much like, you know, a drug would. Um, So this is an interesting piece because when we get into next week's episode about Arthur Lee Allen, and I'll talk a little bit about him, um, how some of this makes sense with him and in other ways it does not, but it also is very true to um, what we know about the Zodiac. And he did have this obsession with, stalking particularly his female victims the men just like when we talked about uh, richard ramirez the men were kind of in his way but it was the women that he yeah really despised and really had had it out for them um so that's that would i mean would you say anything else about a thrill killer would you say that's pretty no much? not without getting into him probably yeah so so um but it's i think like it's, a, a, it's like a mass killing but yeah i think it's just an important piece to um to bring up just because it's it, it really is what drives these people to do what they do versus the actual kill itself. Well, and it's kind of the difference between like sadistic, sadistic killing and other kinds of killing right. too. Like it, there's a, it's pretty common that the person will have kind of a sadistic 
nature. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess we can sort of transition into the, the psychological profile or, or maybe like a mental health analysis of this guy. You bet. So I know, I mean, you and I being in the field, some of this is going to come from our own, um, you know, assessment of him, but I also want to just credit Dr. Todd Grande. You can find him on YouTube. He breaks down a lot of killers from a psychological perspective, and he's he's very, very thorough. And most of the time I agree with what he's saying. There was some stuff he talked about with Jeffrey Dahmer I wasn't incredibly aligned with, but I think he broke down who we think the Zodiac is sure. um, fairly <laughs> well, right? Because that's a big problem, I think, with breaking down the psychological profile of somebody we don't really even know entirely um, that if all of the murders that we assume were from the Zodiac were in fact him. This is all it an so assumption. Mu- it's so much of an assumption. Well, and they get into that in the documentary too, where they're going down these, they're really, you know, with a cold case, you really start from one and you develop new theories and you try not to get involved in like what's not actually represented in the facts, right? So they right. go they go down these, these rabbit holes with new suspects and there's this one point where they're sort of trying to consider whether or not the person has a military background or not. And it's right. really interesting. Yeah. Right, so that was one of the things that came up for me when I was going through the profiles, and this is not just my own opinion, but other people who have assessed who we think the Zodiac is, is that there's likely this military or uh, background because he was very criminally versatile. This is somebody who could use a lot of different weapons. He clearly had very good aim. Um, <laughs> clearly. And, and he knew he knew his way around weapons, and he knew his way around um, getting what he needed to get done in, in just enough, with just enough organization. He was clearly impulsive to a certain degree, but but again, because he was a thrill killer, this is someone who also thought out to a certain degree what he was doing. So, which I just want to throw this at you, because when we think of the diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder, which I would say that's likely part of his diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we do look sometimes... Uh, we will look at somebody with antisocial personality disorder as much more impulsive. And I felt like he was, um, sometimes I felt like he was for the most part, very strategic as far as far as what we know. Yeah. Um, We don't know know. enough about it. Right. It just feels like we don't know enough, but go ahead. So, um, some of the other themes that come up before we get into the diagnosis is he was what we think mm-hmm. obsessed with terror domination. This is the, the, the thrill killer piece is obsessed with, with inst- instilling terror. When you think about some of his early murders where he walks up to a couple and kind of toys with them, gets them to, you know, I think it was the, the second, it was the third murder. I think that was in broad daylight where he has them essentially hogtied and he has the girl hogtied the boyfriend and then he ties her and they're basically, you know, stomachs down the way. He was really obsessed with the power and watching the terror. And this is likely due to someone who probably had a very powerless and meaningless life. Absolutely. Needed to exude this power. So this is, this is the throw-killing piece. To further discuss that piece which is a powerless or meaningless life we know that he also um was obsessed with tormenting and terrorizing women specifically so he had a type and not all killers do but he definitely had a type my feeling is he he might have been an incel or or an involuntary celibate this is someone who um hated women uh, his male victims were in the way. He maybe never got enough female attention. 
Um, and so he really got off on sort of this payback. And these women were somewhat, they're like trophies to him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, the males were left al- alive sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, although the third murder where it was out in the broad daylight, he actually thought that he was dead. But he didn't really care as yeah, much Yeah, more from a witnessing standpoint probably yeah. than anything else. He would really concentrate on the women. And and like so many other serial killers, he concentrated on couples. Mm-hmm. So there was something about the couple that was triggering to him. And I wonder how much of that maybe is related to if he is an incel or if he is someone who was rejected by many women, he sees this guy in getting what he essentially wanted. Mm-hmm. And if we go into the theory, I'm not going to go too far into this, but if we go into the theory of Arthur Lee Allen, we know that um, what we suspect is he was obsessed with um, a woman who ended up being one of the victims. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they suspect that he actually followed that was the her. tie to him, yeah. Yeah, followed her to the, the murder and that one of her last words was, oh, he's he's found me or something. Like she, They still think that she knew who the actual Zodiac killer was. So we have a guy who is, just to recap before I go into more of this, we have, he's male, he's likely middle-aged, he has extreme criminal versatility, he's obsessed with terror domination, um, and he's a trophy hunter, he's likely very isolated, um, and, and like you said, he targets couples. Uh, one of the things that's notable too, when we think about thrill killers and this sort of sadistic obsession with terror domination is that we don't really see anything post-mortem with these guys. They're not playing with the bodies. They're not going back and taking things from the bodies. They're not keeping the bodies. No, even when he, you know, even when he takes the car keys and wallets of the victims in the park that were having the picnic that he hog ties. Yeah. We realize later that it's it's just to identify them in the letter that he sends to the News Chronicle as opposed to a trophy. That's right. Yeah. So uh, he he was a trophy hunter in the sense that he had a very specific type and he had this idea of what he wanted, but he never really kept anything like a Jeffrey Dahmer would. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was clearly fearless. He was either an idiot or he was fearless. And I don't think he was an idiot. I think he was fairly intelligent. I don't think he was of extreme intelligence, but I think he was intelligent enough, mm-hmm. but I do think he was fearless. And and there goes the, the antisocial personality disorder piece where, you know, he doesn't really have much of a fear response. Um, he used a lot of torture tactics like phone calls with heavy breathing. Um, he actually called one of the victim's relatives, um, which we'll go into that victim in the next episode. So he also, this is what's really interesting too, is we don't know how much of this was like a feigning delusional disorder or he actually was, but his whole idea, and I think this was in one of his letters, was he believed he was collecting slaves of the afterlife. (laughs) That was the way that he described what he was doing. Um, He also stated that he left fake clues in Paul Stein's cab to get the cops to run all over town. So Paul Stein was his last victim. Mm-hmm. Um, he was pretty pretty random, but there's also a story behind that that I'll get into in the next episode. So he really knew how to say the shit that took cops here and then sent these letters that didn't... So it was almost like, here, pay attention to this while I go do more game, of that. yeah, the game. It was so thought out. Mm-hmm. Um, but in all of this is this underlying narcissism that we talk about, which is where he almost completely screws himself is the narcissistic piece. So I think it's clear to say that he's 
Some were on the NPD spectrum as well. Low neuroticism, meaning not a lot of fear response and not really worried about a whole hell of a lot until his narcissism kicks in because he really is obsessed with people knowing who he is. And so he, he goes through this phase and I don't know if it's 1968 or 1969 or it's, or it's on and off within that, that he actually wants people. He says in a letter that he wants people to wear Zodiac buttons around the San Francisco Bay area. Yeah, Do you know asks, about this piece? Yep. Yeah. And then he, when that doesn't happen, he continues to complain about it in the letters. Yeah. The it's cops. in the movie too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just really comical to me because there's that, the, the narcissistic piece. Um, Although he's scared of being caught, his narcissism in that need for supply almost sells him out. And we talked about this with Ted Bundy where he could have taken a, a, an appeal or a plea deal, but his narcissism was like, no, I'm not taking that. I knew exactly what I, they, you know, they give themselves away. Yep. So he's scared of being caught, but he needs supply. So out of rage, he almost gives himself away by lighting Kathleen John's car on fire. Mm-hmm. And he's almost caught that day, but he... But he, but he doesn't get caught. Um, and as we know, and I think this is brought up by either, I think Todd Grande says this is, you know, death is the ultimate insult of a narcissist. I just love that quote so much. So we have a combination of someone who's likely APD, narcissistically oriented, low on a neuroticism scale. And, and what Todd talks about also too is we don't know if there's also like a, a cluster A piece in there because we don't know who he really is, Mm -mm. but we don't know if there's like a schizotypal or even a a delusional component to this guy. Yeah. Like we don't know what the maybe secondary we don't personality issue yeah. is we know the primary we, we can don't know a, the yeah underlying. we can like we can like uh, extrapolate and assume from the evidence right whoever this guy is he's got most likely profound trauma in his history mm-hmm. um and a rigid narcissistic personality disorder because he fits he just like ticks off all the boxes oh my god it just in the letters and his communications he ticks off all the boxes so you can imagine in person how it, how it looks and then the antisocial you know is, is a more obvious right get. so i mean that's that's sort of the breakdown and i think what also makes this really complicated too is you know we suspect that this ended in 19 was it 1969 or whatever but you know there's also beliefs that the killer remained active through the 80s. Yeah, he wasn't caught. And that he started way before then. So right. we don't, it's just one of those ones where a lot of times we're looking at a cases or a serial killer that we can look at and talk about of their, you know, either their two or three year, very disorganized killing like a Richard Ramirez. And so we have a f- kind of a full picture of where his, his, um, crisis happened like it just the rampage type of thing mm-hmm. or and then or we have someone like manson where it's over this like many decades where that built up to this crisis so it's like we just don't have that with the zodiac no. we we do have the evidence and so yeah he was almost caught actually um with the graduate student who was the cab driver and then you know, he shot him. That was what you were saying. His last victim was that we know of, right? The Mm -hmm. seven people that were claimed in the letters basically is what we're talking about. Um, 
He was almost caught that too that night too, or at least that's where they got the renderings. That's where they got the eyewitness uh, pictures that were ultimately From released. The Paul Stein murder, with yeah, the glasses and stuff, because there were students or young people like in an apartment across the way that observed him cleaning the cab after the kill. Yeah, and they took a. That was the first composite that they got, and some people believe that it. it it did look like Arthur Lee Allen. Some people think it didn't. Mm-hmm. But the reason why, whomever that person was that did that that night, um, that the cops were looking for a black man. Mm-hmm. And this will make much more sense in the second uh, second episode. But they, th- of course, they were criminalizing a black man. So they let this guy go. Yeah. Essentially. And they were like, well, we have a composite of this guy, but that's not the guy that we're quote unquote looking for. Otherwise, if this would have been, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have been made a difference now with the political climate we're still in. But I wonder if that would have been different now, if they would have yeah, I'm not sure. approached him. or. I mean, we've had um, all colors of serial killers since yeah, then. So, we have. Um, and this was in the beginning. And you have to also understand the cultural context, too. 68, 69, it was the early 60s that, uh, um, and Manson that broke open a serial killer culture that we had. So they were the, the, I mean, cops, FBI, it was all very, very new. All of the science, the profiling, all of that was intensely new. Culturally, we were in a different place. Um, but we were just coming off of this narcissist. I, I have no, I have no doubt in my own head that the actual Zodio, 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 Zodiac killer was profoundly influenced by serial killer culture and Manson and what had begun to happen in the 60s um, and that there was a choice along the way or an impulse, whatever you want to call it, to make himself one of those people. Mm -hmm. In other words, oh, look, this is actually a way that I can feed my narcissism, become famous and have, because it was all about controlling the agenda. I mean, every single letter right. he ever wrote was, here's what I need you to do. Right. <laughs> I need you to shut down this or create buttons or print this or whatever and trying to control an agenda in, obviously, like you said, that we'll get into next time in a world where he didn't feel like he can control anything, most likely. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So next time we're going to get into his... Our number one prime suspect. Arthur Lee Allen. And so he's the guy that we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. That infamous interview. Right. And so he has always been uh, the lead suspect in the case and is widely considered the Zodiac killer, even though they never, there's no DNA. They never proved it. So, um, and there's some conflicting things that kind of point away from him as well. Right. So, right. We're going to get into that next time. So much. So thank you for listening. This is terror talk. My name is Shannon and I'm Kathy sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. If you enjoyed this show, there are two things you could do for us. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media, as well as writing a review on iTunes. Plus, you could check out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow.